sex talk. Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk with Derek and Miley. Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. You know, I've been on this kick lately. I just keep bringing people back uh, more than anything because I like these people. <laughs> so I want to talk to them again. Uh, I have Abby Rolf back with me. Abby is a mental health therapist specializing in transgender knowledgeable and inclusive care. Abby's pronouns are they, them, and theirs. Abby, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm thrilled to be back. We're going to talk all about today why words matter. It's actually even just going to be the title of the episode. Words matter, people. Words matter in so many places of the world and how we say things, but more specifically around sex and gender, like all of it. So do you want to start us off? Like, Help me understand why do words matter? Why does this language matter? It matters so much because when we use gendered language, we're making assumptions about people. We're making assumptions about their bodies, about the way they move through the world, and we're making assumptions about their identity. Yes. Their cultural background. Absolutely. Like so many things. Absolutely. So by using gender neutral language, we're giving folks the space and holding space for them to share with us their authentic identity and the intersections of their identity, whatever that may mean for them. I often encourage people to kind of think about when when they've been around babies and when someone gets irritated when they call a baby a boy or a girl, when that is not what, however that that parent is like dressing them all in whatever gender expression they're <laughs> dressing them in and how irritated sometimes people can get about that. It's an excellent example of why this is important. Absolutely. And why it's important to let folks express that for themselves so you're not putting additional assumptions or expectations on them. Yes. Yes. Even as I'm a cisgendered woman and I identify that way and... I still get annoyed when someone says, like, calls me like a, um, like a pejorative term around women, like little lady, mm-hmm. that pisses me right the hell off. <laughs> or or and, infantilizing and calling you girl instead of woman. Exactly. Or, you know, and so if that, I have a certain level of privilege and I'm annoyed by that. So I imagine when someone completely like ignores requests around language, that has to be just that, that I imagine it's heartbreaking. It is. And, and even the fact that folks are expected to have the emotional energy or to put in the emotional labor to tell someone with privilege that they're using the wrong language, because that inherently creates a power differential. Oh, power dynamics. Yeah. So expecting somebody to be able to, to speak up, especially if they're in a, a work situation and they're speaking to someone with authority or really any situation where there's any perception of authority, Speaking up and saying, well, that's that's not the right pronoun for me, or that's not the name that I use, or that's not the language that I use around myself can be incredibly difficult, and so much so that it can cause emotional discomfort. Yes. 
Absolutely. I, I know today we were going to really focus on some of the the gender neutral genitalia terms. And so I think that that would be a good opportunity for us to kind of move that direction. And why does that matter? We're, I mean, we've, we, we understand, we've tackled, why does it matter to use the pronouns, but why is it helpful to address genitalia in a more neutral way? I think most basically because not everyone's comfortable with the anatomical terms, regardless of their gender identity, whether they're transgender or gender diverse or even cisgender. It's not uncommon for folks to use words like junk or bits and pieces as euphemisms or other ways to describe genitals. So folks can, regardless of their identity, be uncomfortable. And it's important as a partner to create that open space for people to feel like they can talk about what they call their parts. Yes, I think this is I think this is incredibly important if even if we zoom out a little bit. I love Doug Braun Harvey's work around out of control sexual behavior. One of the things he talks about is our discomfort and the words we use and we will use words like that to describe our genitalia because we are trying to create that distance between us and our genitalia or distance between us and our discomfort around our genitalia. And this is all of us. (laughs) I would venture to say, I can't tell you how many people I've interacted with who have a cutesy name for their genitalia because of how uncomfortable they are with the anatomical words. Right. And and the stigma attached to it and the taboo that's been attached to human bodies and the ways in which human bodies have been sexualized beyond what exists inherently, what's already there. We are human. Yes, people can be sexual beings, but that doesn't necessarily make parts of our body inherently sexual. I think that discomfort, it's almost like what you just that's described that it's like a cloud around like you talk, you can talk about your arm. <laughs> without having any, any clouded discomfort around talking about an arm. But the minute that you say penis, vulva, there is like this cloud of discomfort and the assumption of sexuality. So why is the communication between partners so important when it comes to this? Well, most of all, if you're going to be engaging in sex with someone, you want to be comfortable, both yourself and that person. So you're creating the space where you can use words that feel best for everyone involved. You also need to be able to effectively communicate with your partner about what you want, what they want, what feels good and what doesn't. Otherwise, the experience probably is going to be less than ideal. And most importantly, so you can obtain and give effective and accurate consent. Mm, Let's talk consent. Say more about that. (laughs) For example, if a person is going to be interacting with an individual who has a vulva and vagina, and that person may be transgender or gender diverse, and they don't use the anatomical terms for that part of their body. If you ask them, may I you know, put something in your vagina? Like you talked about, that cloud of discomfort may be so significant that it may cause emotional distress. And that person may, worst case scenario, may shut down in that situation and not be able to effectively communicate. Consent may be 
inferred or they may give consent out of feeling like they don't have control in the situation because of the emotional discomfort, because of everything else that's going on internally about hearing those words. As you were talking about that, I was thinking about the many sexual abuse survivors I have worked with and how some words can be a trigger for them and they don't necessarily have to be slang terms. They could even be the anatomical words that they have a trigger associated with them because of what ha- what they've experienced that caused them deep and serious harm. I, and I think you saying like, hey, we need to lay this out on the table so that everyone involved can have mutual pleasure. This is one of those skills that every single one of us need to have. Absolutely. So when you think about like common euphemisms, what tends to be words that some folks will use that maybe they're more comfortable with? And I know you have a kind of a list that might be helpful for for folks to hear. I do. So when you're talking to transgender and gender diverse folks who perhaps have a vulva or vagina, using terms like front hole, some folks will use the term bonus hole. For what is anatomically defined as a clitoris, they may refer that as their peen or their penis or their dicklet. So having kind of some ideas in mind when you're going into these situations may be helpful because folks may not have thought about what they call their body parts because those parts may, you know, thinking about those parts may cause them distress. So part of this can be an exploratory exercise in communication about what folks call their body parts. And much like trying out pronouns and trying out names that feel good, it might be an opportunity to try out different names for parts. Does it feel good to you emotionally when I call this part of your body by this name? Mm -hmm. I think that you are again hitting on consent. Consent can be just so much bigger than I want to have sex or do you want to have sex? Yes or no. It is more nuanced and can be more nuanced and this example is a, a wonderful example of that. And especially when you're talking to not only folks who are transgender and gender diverse, but like you mentioned, people who are maybe sexual abuse survivors, going into situations you may well not know, folks may well not know that the person they're potentially engaging in sexual activity with is a survivor. The, the Me Too mo- movement showed us just how prevalent sexual abuse and harassment is. So Creating the space to not only talk about what people call their parts, but also how are they comfortable being touched? Is it okay if I touch in a particular way? And creating a a safe, comfortable environment where folks feel comfortable enough to say, no, I don't like to be touched that way, or I, I want to be touched this way instead. I, I think it might be helpful for both of us maybe to describe this a little bit. We've both said the word distress and what using words that can cause distress. Maybe we should both talk a little bit more about like what this distress can look like. Sure. So the distress can be physical, like a visceral reaction, someone feeling nauseous, similar symptoms of what people might feel when they're feeling anxious. It may feel like rage. 
or feeling out of control emotionally and, and physically, it may, you know, we use the word psych ache, like that mental pain that folks may feel. And so the distress can look different for everyone, regardless of their gender identity. And so it'll also be important while having these conversations to talk about, you know, what's coming up for you as we have these conversations to create that space for folks to say, this doesn't feel good. I need to take a break or we need to take a step back from this. So being able to recognize, you know, your own triggers of distress and your own signs for distress. When I start to feel my jaw tensing up, that's when I know I need to take a step back from this and also creating that space for your partner or partners. Quick break from the action, folks. <laughs> action. <laughs> I just want to tell you about my Patreon. Every week, I bring you guests and seriously, lots of sex nerdery. <laughs> Help me keep doing that by becoming a supporter. What do you get in return? Cool perks. For real. I am going to be doing shout outs, stickers, a bunch of stuff. So check it out at ericamiley.com forward slash Patreon. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-I-L-E-Y.com forward slash Patreon. I hope to see you and see more of you by becoming a Patreon. Thanks, guys. I think that's so important to understand that distress can look very different for very different people. And also, it could also look like your threat system's been activated, that freeze feeling, the can't move, or I just want this to be over with. I can, I, there are many, many of my clients have told me that, who have said that they will, it, it will be much more like a freeze or an out, of, like they are watching things happen to them and they are playing dead for lack of a better way to, to put it and, and just waiting for it to be over. And so it, again, this distress can look different for every person. And I'm very much an optimist in most of the, most of the time and most of, most of my life. So my, I imagine people are not actively wanting to hurt their partner that if they knew their partner was thinking, I just want this to be over with, they would more than likely want that want it to end as well. And I agree. I think most people want to have enjoyable, fun, mutually you know, beneficial sexual experiences. And so being able to recognize this need and create space for it, whatever that conversation may look like, opens the door for a much more satisfying sexual experience for all parties involved. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. When we talk about being comfortable with anatomical terms. I think this is, and, and you and I can talk a little bit about this, maybe philosophically, and the idea of like learning to identify what genitalia we have and then helping us communicate those things to either our partners or even if someone asks, because <laughs> we're going to get into that here in just a second, on <laughs> because I know I, many, uh, many of my my trans identified clients have said like people ask me about my genitalia when we would, ne would never I have as as a cisgendered woman uh, nobody has looked at me and asked me do you have a vulva 
what do you have down there? That's what many of my clients have told me. That's the question they get. So how do we help people learn how to ask better fucking questions? This just blows me away. Every time I hear this, I'm just like, why the fuck are you asking someone about their they're genitalia. And I think I've heard uh, friends say that they've been on Grindr or Tinder and the blatant question is, well, what's in your pants? Because in some situations, it's this novelty of, you know, you're a curiosity and I, I want to know. And sometimes it's a, well, I'm potentially going to be having sex with you. And there are some parts that I like and some parts that I don't like. So I think really... <laughs> Just creating an environment where A, the person feels comfortable sharing if it's appropriate, and B, minding your own business if it yeah, isn't. <laughs> Stop talking. In other right, words. Stop. Right. <laughs> I mean, even even the most basic, we've heard very, very rarely are cisgender women asked if they've had breast augmentation. Like people may notice, but it's not incredibly common for folks to, to straight up ask. But if someone is non-binary or genderqueer or transmasculine or trans man, and they've had top surgery where they've had removal of their chest or a masculinization of their chest, folks oftentimes don't think twice about asking, well, what happened to your chest? Did you have surgery? How was surgery? And those are incredibly personal and invasive questions. Mm -hmm. I would never ask anyone had like, if they had like a stitches on their arm or something like that, or if they recently had like, say melanoma removed, I wouldn't just like jump in like first question out the gate in that conversation and go, Hey, how was that melanoma? And, you know, like why, why, why? Why are we doing this? Right. Again, you're, you're talking about distress and what distress that might have meant for that person. That could have been an incredibly scary experience. And by asking about someone's body when it's uninvited can bring up, you know, that distress. And I think if there's a potential of having sex with another person or persons, opening it up and saying, is there anything that you'd like to share with me about your body? Beautiful question. So you're not asking, do you have these parts? because the person may not relate to the words that you're using to begin with, but you're also letting that person know I'm safe to have this conversation with, or trying to create a safe space to have this conversation with you without asking those direct invasive questions. I would imagine. So even just bringing it, I'm trying to help people like, bring these examples to if it say they don't know a trans person. So I, I want to make sure that we bring this to kind of maybe even where the, those folks live when it comes to like, if we were to talk about that person with melanoma again, like if that person, and you, if they say something like, yeah, I just got out, I just got out of the hospital. I had this procedure done. They have then volunteered information. They have done that themselves of their own volition then it might be okay to say, oh, are you okay with telling me how that went for you? Right. And still keeping it open where you're not asking very specific invasive questions, but you're leaving the door open for that individual to say, you know, to share their experience or to say, I don't really want to talk about it, which is again, coming back to consent. Yes. 
and validation that you are a human being and you can create boundaries around yourself. Your story is not for everyone. Many, many, many of my clients, no matter if they're trans identified or not, this is something that I'm constantly teaching people. You do not owe anyone your story. Absolutely. And it is okay to look at someone and say, no, I I don't care to talk about that. I will say in the trans community, there's this idea that we may be the first transgender or gender diverse person that another individual comes in contact with. And so there's this very difficult internal dialogue or navigation of, okay, I may be, you know, sort of an ambassador for the community. So what kind of example do I want to set? If I'm the only person that this person comes into contact with, if I'm their only experience with gender diversity, what kind of impression am I going to give them? And are they going to generalize this experience across the community? And the truth is we aren't a monolith. Humans are all unique and all different and all varied. And that is true with gender diverse and transgender individuals as well, that we're not a monolith and every person's experience and journey is going to be different. And just as you wouldn't, hopefully, generalize your experience with one person of a particular identity, whatever that identity may be across the board, the same hope would be true for gender minority individuals that you wouldn't or that folks wouldn't generalize a single experience which may include boundary setting and saying, you know, those questions are rude and and I'm choosing not to answer them. I'm thinking of so many, so, so many examples of this. I just think it is such, so important to understand that not every person who uh, may have uh, maybe trans or uh, maybe even a black person or um, <laughs> however, however a person is walking through this world, they don't have to be the amb- ambassador for an entire population and the level of pressure that that puts on them. Thank you so much for being on the show again, and you are always welcome to be- to come back. And folks, thank you for sticking around with us all the way to the end. If you have questions or if you have a loved one that is going through this process, please look up the, the show notes and we'll, I'll make sure that all of those resources are again there for you. Again, Abby, thank you. And every all the listeners out there, thanks for sticking around and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. That helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See you all next time.